It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right indeed. And welcome to the show. Um, we're still looking for the uh, the countdown in the intro. We're not sure where that was. Uh, meanwhile, um... Alan, 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 uh, Alan, he's looking anybody... too. I guess you guys actually heard that, huh? So that's good. <laughs> yes. So uh, instead of the countdown and then the intro, I'm just going to play, I think, sound effects here for uh, a, a few minutes here. Let's see here. Um, you just... Hey, hey, hey. We're not done. I know, I know. No, no, I know. we're not done. We're just getting no, we, started. We, we just started the the. Just the, getting warmed up here. here. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know how we know that. And they're off. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Um, <laughs> good morning. Good morning, and yeah, it's finally summer. How about Yay! that? Yay! And happy Father's Day too to all the fathers um, out there. Yeah, uh, doesn't apply to me. Uh, never, it never has. No, that's what I said to all the fathers out there. Yeah, to all the fathers. Uh, and uh, but I, I, I just wish them happy summer. I, uh, enough of the Father's Days and the Mother's Days and the <sighs> Grandma's Days. Summer, so, summer, so, summer, so. summer, 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 summer. Um, and and we've actually we're getting warm weather and sunshine somewhat. Holy smoke! Who knew uh, in the Midwest that, that that could happen here? But it's also as we get into summer, it's mosquito season, it's pollinator season. It's very interesting that we've got a couple of weeks that coincide this week. Um, and one of them is National Pollinator Week. And you can understand that folks will want to celebrate pollinators. But the same week, coincidentally, and I'm not sure, and we'll ask our first guest about this in a second, is also National Mosquito Control Awareness Week. And as I wrote in my blog, and you can find that at MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, I was writing yesterday, I said that roughly the same seven-day period uh, houses these two weeks, but notice that nobody is trying to control air quotes, pollinators, but mosquitoes are pollinators too. Hmm. So what gives? Um, and they're different also per- different perspectives. Uh, well, you know, and I decided that I needed to, um, to show folks that there, as you say, there are different perspectives and, and there are many different ways 
of looking at the world. So uh, I, I added some information on the blog about why mosquitoes serve a purpose mm-hmm. on this planet. They're not just the deadliest animal on the planet, as a lot of people say. Bill Gates has uh, said that, and I quoted him in there. Uh, so that me- brings us to one of our fine sponsors, that is Summit responsible solutions and last year we had a guy named uh bill stangle on the show to talk about their products uh as we lurch here into mosquito season last year you were on in july bill and i should just say uh good morning how are you hey good morning how are you uh good uh and where where are you uh zooming in from right now i'm from outside of baltimore Oh, all right. See, now it seems to me outside of Baltimore, that's a, a wonderful habitat for mosquitoes, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. Mm. And summer is here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you noticed that? I have. <laughs> Tell us, uh, what, what do you do with uh, Summit Responsible Solutions? I'm the uh, vice president of sales for Summit. Okay. So I go out and try to make sure our product is on store shelves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, on radio shows as well, because I had a friend of mine just yesterday uh, send me a link to a radio show you were on uh, in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Yes. Uh, and when was that? Uh, yesterday morning. Ha! So she got it to me immediately, and I said, oh, great, scooped again. All right. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Well, but that's that's over there on the left coast. And uh, I'm uh, in, and Peggy and I are in the middle of the country, and and you're uh, on the east coast. So we got we got all our bases covered here. Um, and uh, you said it's it's summer there. So uh, have you? Uh, one of the things you you wrote to me, which was very interesting, you said you've been very busy, and part of the reason you explained is the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, so uh, folks are staying at home, so they're they're. I would imagine more in their yards sometime now, uh, mm-hmm. their own yards, and they they don't want to get bitten. Is that is that uh, is that the situation? Well, that that is the situation, and um, you know, in, in the industry, in the lawn and garden industry, I've spoken to a lot of people over the last few months, and everybody is basically saying the same thing that that business in the lawn and garden sector has been very very positive. And a lot of that is attributed anecdotally to so many people staying at home. They want to do something. uh, So let's go outside and beautify the yard and and do the maintenance and sit out in the evening with an adult beverage and enjoy ourselves to the best of our ability. But at the same time, uh, in a number of states, we, we reported early on in the pandemic that there were garden centers closed. It was hard to get to some places. So uh, what are you seeing in terms of of, of garden centers and the uh, gardening industry? Uh, you're saying it's doing well. It, it had a little bit of a bump early oh, on. It, 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 de- mm-hmm. it definitely had a little bit of a bump. I mean, my neighborhood garden center uh, was closed for three or four weeks, and then they open they they tried opening with just uh curbside service and that just didn't really work well for them 
as you can well imagine, I mean, most people that go to a garden center want to see the plants and touch the plants and pick out their own special plant. Yeah. So they, they evolved into where they were open uh, eight to two. And, and now they've, a couple of weeks ago, they expanded their hours to eight to six. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's certainly not been the kind of year that they expected, but they've been very thankful for all their loyal customers coming in and, and it's going to end up being a decent year for them. Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and the things they want to do, and, and the thing that everybody wants to do at a garden center, as you say, is browse. Yes. They want to browse. They want, and then they want to pick the perfect plant. And they couldn't do that. At, at a certain point, the garden center people were saying, nope, here's the plant you're taking. We'll put it in the trunk and we'll see you. Um, and, and, and I imagine one of the other things they browse, they're in a garden center and they see the mosquito dunks and they say, Ooh, I really should have those for the yard. Yeah. And, and they're reading the labels and they're, yeah. Do you think of yourselves, your, uh, your company as an impulse buy bill? Uh, in, in, in some cases, yes. I, I think, um, for the most part, it's a planned buy. Uh, I, I think. People that have used it are going to come back year after year and they're going to buy it again because they know the routine. They need to get rid of standing water and then the standing water that they can't get rid of, they need to treat. And hopefully that's what we've been preaching and, and that's been falling on their ears and their, their understanding that, okay, just like I need to plant my seeds, I need to fertilize, oh, I need to treat standing mm -hmm. water. Yeah, and you know, uh, whenever we post about mosquito dunks, give you a little ding there, um, two dings, uh, I have our listeners say, oh, I love that product. Oh, I love mosquito dunks. They're, they always jump up. So this is something that people are very, very familiar with. Um, and folks should know, a mosquito, do you, why don't you explain in your own words? I was going to talk about Bacillus thuringiensis, uh, subspecies Israeliensis. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, why don't you tell us what a mosquito dunk is very briefly? You've got about two minutes before well, we that's break. it. So I'm going to use BTI as the abbreviated form of what you just said. So, <laughs> so that's our active ingredient. It's a bacteria. It's not a chemical. It is in a little, I don't know if you can see it here, a little donut shaped. Yeah, there donut. it is. It's a donut. Yes. And it, it's. It was developed to go into standing water and it gives a controlled release of that bacteria in the standing water. That, that bacteria is lethal to mosquito larvae. Mosquito larvae are filter feeders. As this is slowly dissolving, they're sucking in everything around them. They suck in the BTI and it's lethal to them. It's a stomach toxin to them. But interestingly enough, it's species specific, so it's harmless to everything else in the water. It's not quite species specific, but it, it addresses like three different uh, or about three species. Uh, it's about as close as you can get to a species specific uh, uh, pesticide as is possible. And mm -hmm. it's a larvicide, actually. It's yeah. so that's yes. what it is. Uh, all right. Well, we need to break here. We come back. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how it works and some of the other products you've got coming down the pipeline uh, that folks might be interested in. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Bill Stengel for Summit, and we will be right back. 
We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phase of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving their trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. From small boat to your table with complimentary no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings traceable wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your home. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares of their harvest just like your local CSA. Wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Responsibly harvested, hand-processed, blast-frozen, and vacuum-sealed. Sign up today. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Visit SitkaSalmonShares.com. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second Garden Video Challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for the best. Yes, there will be prizes. Go to ChicagoGardeningAwards.com or click the logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. The folks at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery raise more than 100 goats on their Champaign, Illinois farm. The herd is pasture-based, the goat milk is seasonal, and they're animal welfare approved by A Greener World. They offer a wide range of fresh shove, including plain, herbs de Provence, cracked peppercorn, and seasonal flavors. Try one of their exquisite bloomies or a goat milk feta. Go to prairiefruits.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Our friends at Eden Place Farms are offering affordable local CSA shares with a twist. You pay for these organically grown boxes of vegetables each week as you receive them. You can skip deliveries without penalty and even get custom orders to eliminate allergens and unwanted items. Best of all, you're supporting a Chicago-based operation whose goal is to provide affordable, high-quality organic produce to the region. Go to EdenPlaceFarms.org or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Kill the mosquito, mosquito, mosquito. Mosquito. Welcome back to the Mike Nova <laughs> Show with Peggy Malucky. Bill, you seem to be liking that. You guys can make that your theme. I love it. Uh, I, another I, another fine selection from the used tubes, I see. I, yeah, yes. the, I was uh, on the used tubes looking for music and the killed <laughs> mosquito came up. I said, oh, there we go. There's 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 a bump for the show. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Bill Stangle from Summit Responsible Solutions is uh, on the Zoom with us, uh, we're talking about mosquito dunks, and uh, we were talking during the break, for those of you listening to Bonus Time on Facebook and YouTube, 
uh, we were talking about the bits as well. Explain the difference between the dunks and the bits. So the bits and the dunks both have the same active ingredient. Bits are a granular form that's designed to be applied when you have mosquito larvae that you see and want to get rid of very quickly. Or if you have a very, very large area to treat that's difficult to treat with dunks. So granular form, you sprinkle it out. A little jar will cover 2,000 square feet, so it's pretty good coverage. Uh, sprinkle it out, gets into the water, releases the BTI, the mosquito larvae that are filter feeders are sucking it in, so it becomes lethal to them. Unlike the dunks, it's, it doesn't last long, so you need to reapply every week or so or follow up with mosquito dunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Peggy asked during the break uh, about mosquito dunks, and you and you explained to her a mosquito dunk, uh, if it doesn't get uh, all used up, it and the water goes away, it dries, and then it sits there, but it's still effective when the water comes back, right? Correct. Cool. Um, and the thing uh, that you mentioned about BTI, it's completely safe. It has uh, it affects base. What are the the, the three mosquitoes? And well, I don't it's, it's it's the insect class Diptera. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is mosquito larva, black fly larva, uh, drain fly, sewer fly, all of the true flies. Got it. That are in that class. And uh, fungus gnats too, right? Yes, and fungus gnats. Yeah. So there you go. And fungus gnats don't bother anybody. I, you know. No, I just, I'm like this usually in the fungus. <laughs> I know. I, who cares about <laughs> fungus gnats? But mosquitoes. Um, and uh, it's very. It's safe. It doesn't have any effect on humans. Um, and uh and other uh insects and other critters out there that you might be worried about now uh we've had a a very wet spring here in the midwest so mosquitoes are going to be around um the other thing that's going on this year are ticks uh and you have a formulation for ticks as well we do Uh, there's a lot of products on the market that are labeled as flea and tick or as backyard spray, and they're okay, um, but not the best at killing ticks. And so we have a product that's a permethrin-based product. If you read the literature, permethrin is one of just a few synthetic pyrethroids that are really recommended for tick control. And depending on your area and as a consumer, you want to check with your health department to see what's the best timing that you want to spray your yard because you want to get the young stage, the nymph stage of the ticks. Uh, So in my neck of the woods, the best time to spray is about, oh, actually a couple of weeks ago, the beginning of June was a really fine time to spray. Uh, Spraying your yard perimeter, your Typically, most yards are not going to have ticks in the middle of the yard because they don't like low grass, sunny areas. They want to be in moist, damp, humid areas, and they like to climb up on things because ticks get on you by what's called questing. So they're at the tip of a a leaf or something, and you're walking by, and they have their little um, appendages feeling for any animal that comes by animal, human, and and that's how they hitch their ride and, and ticks are parasites. So they're they're hitching on so they can get a blood meal. Yeah. And and you mentioned something very interesting uh that folks should always be aware of when dealing with their gardens 
in any situation and and, and you want to know about uh, critters in the garden, insects especially, uh, you need to know the life cycle to uh, address them properly. Now, for instance, one of the things we talked about when you were on the show last year is spraying for m- mosquitoes is about the least effective way of controlling them. Really mm-hmm. get them when they're larvae uh, with, the, with the dunks. However, you're saying that you can spray for the ticks. And the other thing you need to know is the different kinds of products you're using. For instance, the BTI, very, very safe uh, in mosquito dunks. Uh, permethrin is slightly different. Uh, I actually have a link to the National Pesticide Information Center about uh, permethrin if you have any questions. And you can do your own research, of course. Uh, But on my blog, I have that. And as you mentioned, it's in the pyrethroid family. It's a synthetic chemical, whereas the BTI is a natural chemical. So you guys are using different strategies for different insects, right? Except that the (laughs) ticks are not insects. (laughs) Correct. And and whenever possible, we like to use the safest method. We we have a a BTK, for instance, for caterpillar control, those leaf-eating caterpillars that may get on your fruit trees, get on your tomato plants, uh, and very, very effective. Unfortunately, for tick control, there is no biological that's been developed yet that's proven effective for tick control. Well, they're nasty, all right? They and you, you guys are doing the best you can yeah. to, to do that. We have about a minute left. So uh, what what is in the pipeline for Summit Responsible Solutions? Um, well, we're coming out with a another version of Mosquito Dunk that we call Mosquito Dunk Chunks. <laughs> And, and we're, we're coming out with this. <laughs> That's funny. It, it, it's a small little piece of mosquito dunk. It's like a quarter of a dunk. Mm-hmm. And this developed because we get a lot of phone calls from people that want to treat a bird bath. And they read that, well, mosquito dunk covers 100 square feet. And I don't have a 100 square foot bird bath. Yeah. So we advise them. And it's on the, on the packaging where you can just break it up into smaller pieces and put those smaller pieces in. And for some reason, some people are just reluctant to do that. So yep. yeah, we figured, okay, if, if they want something to treat bird baths and smaller bodies of water, let's give it to them. That, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And you guys got great products. You can click on the logo on my website, MikeNovak.net, or go to SummitChemical.com. Uh, thank you, Bill Stengel. Always a treat talking to you. And I hope folks take advantage of this it's the mike novak show with peggy molecki we will be back talking about scuba diving for folks we'll be right back thanks mike now more than ever whether you're a farmer or a backyard grower it's important to protect the life of your soil the folks at blazing star understand that which is why they distribute tinyo biologicals for 30 years tinyo seed treatments and foliar fertilizers have benefited both large and small organic growers many products are omri certified for fields or indoor growing go to blazing-star.com and check out their biogarden line for home gardeners Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. 
Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmers markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low-sugar blueberry preserves, pure dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing U-Pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. More than ever, Chicagoans are looking for trusted resources to help them lead a healthier, more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, still Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach people that support this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our readers are truly committed to improving their health, leading greener lives, and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, organic foods, health products, relaxation options, fitness and yoga classes, green landscapers, energy efficiency experts, and more. Our readers pick up their free copies of Natural Awakenings each month, or they read it on our website because they know it's our area's best source for reliable information about healthy green living. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more and check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. show with Peggy Malecki and uh, we have a couple of people on the Zoom machine right now, one of whom uh, I've known for a long, long time uh, and we uh, reacquainted ourselves with each other uh, back earlier this year, which seems like uh, a gazillion years ago Yeah, uh, when, um, when Michelle Hoffman Trotter was doing her event uh, she has uh, been on the show many times, and she is a uh, an oceanographer and a filmmaker, and she's doing a project called Microcosm, and she had a bunch of people come to, uh, that was at Columbia, right? Yeah. Yeah, Columbia. The, and, very and, last day of February. Yeah, was it the last yeah. day? It's yeah. the, leap, the leap day. And then all heck broke loose uh, in March, as you know. So while we were there, we ran into the guy you see on the screen, if you're watching on Facebook, uh, and, uh, his partner there, uh, his name is Jim Elliott and, uh, his partner is Tina Marie Hernandez. Now, um, Tina Marie Hernandez is the executive director of dive heart. Jim is the founder, but Jim and I worked, uh, in another lifetime at a place called gargantua radio. Uh, down the dial, uh, and that's that's how I fondly refer to it. Uh, whenever I talk about it, Jim, no no call letters here. It's just gargantua radio down the dial uh, because it's it's the radio station, you know, where the twenty dollar bills line the halls. You, you they drop um, they drop them on the floor all the time, and 
all the microphones are gold plated and you know what I mean. There's just so much money there. Um, we're trying to get some of that money here at, at WCGO. Uh, but Jim and I worked there and Jim was in sales. I was an, uh, an engineer, um, a board op. And then it, actually I didn't become, um, get my own show there until after you had left in 1996. Um, and, uh, but uh, Jim left because how, I'm going to let you explain it. Why did you leave? That was a pretty good job. Um, I assumed you were pretty successful at your job, but something was calling you, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I went to, had the opportunity to go help start up CLTV News. So I thought that'd be uh, cool to be part of a startup project like that. And I kind of like the idea that it was a synergistic effort of all the Tribune Company properties. And I had been in newspaper and radio already. So it, uh, it, it was intriguing to me. And uh, it really helped me because we're, we want to launch a project where it'll be a startup as well, kind of a brand new concept. We want to build a deep warm water pool to replicate some of the benefits we see in open water. So that's why I left. Uh, but but that also that turned into something else as well, which is uh, the pool and and the warm water situation became dive heart, right? Right, right. When I was when, when I was with you at Gargantuan Radio, um, <laughs> I was very I was involved in. Uh, I'm staying with it. Uh, right. I was, <laughs> I was, you get a I ding very, for that. <laughs> I was very involved in downhill skiing for blind people. And my oldest daughter was blind. So since the mid-80s, I've been guiding and teaching blind skiers and um, saw it benefit a lot of people. And I thought, wow, if skiing can do this, I know what diving can do. Because I've been diving since college. I thought as a journalist, the young journalist, if I ever met someone like Jacques Cousteau, I better know how to scuba dive, right? So that's really why I took diving, which is another arrow in my quiver as a, as a journalist. And But I fell in love with it. It's the closest thing that we can make to be in uh, in outer space or being an astronaut here on Earth when we get underwater. So all the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been thinking about um, doing doing diving the same way we were doing the skiing therapy. And then when I left CLTV, I started, uh, founded Dive Heart. And in 2001, I uh, started teaching people with disabilities in 97. And here we are, we've changed the entire dive industry and uh, helping people all over the world, as far away as Kuala Lumpur and Borneo and China, places like that. And you're located, headquartered in Downers Grove in the western suburbs here in the Chicago area. Correct, yeah. Uh, And you say you've changed the diving world. How how have you done that? Well, in, in so many ways, when Jim first started, he tells the story. I'll tell you your story this time. <laughs> he, uh, he tells the story of when uh, he started going to the largest um, show in diving, which is DEMA. Um, and there were no adaptive groups there. You know, people wouldn't, weren't really even uh, acknowledging having adaptive divers, which have always happened, yeah. right? There's always been someone you get injured. If you can still do all the skills, there's no reason for you not to be able to scuba dive. And um, just recently, what, maybe three years ago now? Three years ago now, not only at that show do you see other adaptive groups attending, but one of the biggest agencies around, the gargantuan agency of the dive world, <laughs> um, <laughs> will, 
actually did a huge presentation of introducing their um, work around adaptive diving. And that alone shows us that the industry has changed, right? And over the 19 years that we've been around, Jim has been to every single trade show that he could get to, spreading the word, inviting people to um, join us and helping people with disabilities learn how to scuba dive, learn how to become free under the water, um, learn how to build their own confidence and self-esteem through this activity. And we are seeing the benefits of that education of the dive world. And the dive world has finally come to embrace it. Uh, what happened recently, also Jim Story, but I'm going to tell it, is <laughs> we got a phone call of someone saying, um, my boss wants, or a group approached this instructor, a dive instructor, and said, we want to do an adaptive dive program. You need to go get trained by Dive Heart. So wow. not only are we making it um, available and, and educating people, but people are recognizing us as the leader. And yeah. um, that's very, it's a big responsibility for us yeah. to hold, but we're really position and happy <laughs> yeah yeah it you, you've got to tell uh some stories about changing lives because that's exactly what mm-hmm. you do um i i'm gonna raise my hand i've never been in scuba de- gear um it would terrify me so i imagine that when i mean you know and i'm sure i'd get used to it and, and adapt and and be fine but that must be uh, a hill you need to climb with each individual you bring into this situation, especially people who are are challenged in some way physically uh, or emotionally or however they are. Um, the last thing the world you want them to experience is fear in this situation. So how do you how do you uh, deal with that? Well, people with disabilities. We, we take for granted, obviously, getting out of bed and going to the bathroom and doing the, the everyday things that we do. It's a lot of work sometimes. They may have to be transferred, you know, from bed to the wheelchair or whatever. So by the time they get to us and they're ready to try scuba diving, their head is kind of in the game in a way that, that we really can't appreciate, right? Um, it's not natural for people to breathe underwater. So the I kind of get a kick out of it because the first time you put a mask on, and if someone can't hold the traditional mask or a regulator in their mouth, we use full face masks, um, which help accommodate and allow a whole lot of uh, other group of people with disabilities to try diving. But it, the kick I get out of it is when they first put their face in the water, and sometimes they'll come up and they'll be like, Oh my God, you know, and, and it's because when you take that breath underwater, your brain is going, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Stupid? Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, you're not supposed to breathe underwater, right? So that's kind of funny. And, and I just laugh and I go, it's not natural to breathe underwater. It's okay. This is kind of a thing that happens to just about everybody. And the cool thing is once they start breathing and they go, wow, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then we teach them to use their breath to control their buoyancy. So when we get them neutrally buoyant and we get them weighted properly, when they breathe in, they go up and when they exhale, they go down. And it's really like being an astronaut. It's very, very cool. And so once we, the thrill for me is when I get somebody, especially like in a wheelchair and I get them standing up and then they look down and they get like this shocked look on their face when they see themselves standing, maybe for the first time in years, or maybe for the 
first time yeah. ever in their life if they were born with a disability. And, and it's just like, wow, this transformation happens. And it's no longer Johnny in a wheelchair. It's Johnny the scuba diver, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes, wow, if I can scuba dive, what else can I do? And they no longer self-identify as somebody with a disability or somebody, a, a wheelchair user. We also, um, I think one of the, the strengths that we do is we attract really great people because we, we are working on 90% um, of the people that we have in our organization are volunteers. We attract great people and then we go by the tenant of challenge by choice. So it might take someone three visits with us to mm-hmm. get their face underwater successfully and stay underwater um, and to feel that, that accomplishment. But what we try and do is we make sure every time they are with us, there's a win. And we just teach with love and patience. And he is a great example of that because, you know, Jim can get someone under the water that nobody else can get. If, if we're struggling with other people, um, we can, we're like, okay, this is a Jim person. Let's see what he can do. Yeah. And he, yeah. All right. Well, we need to take a break close here. To the time. Uh, we're talking to Jim Elliott and Tina Marie Hernandez uh, from Dive Heart. Uh, what a remarkable experience. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around. We have more when we come back. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food. And thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase, and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. This is Mike Novak from the Smart Talk Radio Network. Speaking of being smart, even if some businesses are opening up, COVID-19 is still a very dangerous disease. So if you go out, continue to practice social distancing and don't be bullied into doing things that you don't think are safe. You'll be protecting yourself and the ones you love. Look at it this way. If you don't like wearing a mask, you'll really hate being on a ventilator. Please be smart. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're an omnivore, there's an alternative to factory farmed meats. Cedar Valley Sustainable Farms CSA brings you beef, pork, chicken, and eggs, all raised humanely, drug and hormone free with respect for the earth and the animals. And since the start of the COVID-19 emergency, they've been doing non-contact pickup at delivery locations throughout the city and suburbs. Go to cedarvalleysustainable.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. In the past couple of months, we've all learned how to be smart indoors and out. So take that one step further by being smart with your recycling, too. Don't put personal protective equipment or PPE into recycling bins. Those items can't be recycled by your waste hauler, and you might endanger our sanitation workers. And please don't throw PPE on the ground. Do we really have to tell you why? A little common sense and a lot of concern for those around us can go a long way. We're all in this together. a barren waste without the taste of water cool water yeah, I had, uh, I had yeah, there we go <laughs> I got coffee here but unfortunately I wish I 
see your face, Jim Elliott, because I figure you that would bring a smile. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> since you deal in water uh, all the time. And folks who are listening, we're talking to uh, Jim Elliott and Tina Marie Hernandez from Dive Heart. Uh, Jim is the founder. Tina Marie is executive director. Um, and we uh, we turned off their video on Facebook because we were getting some glitching and some folks were reporting that. Um, and here's a here's a trick, folks. If you're working with Zoom, um, sometimes if you turn off the video portion, the audio cleans up. And that's what we're going to try here so we don't have any more of those dropouts. So if you're doing a Zoom conference, sometimes that really helps. Um, we uh, were talking about the... I, one of the things that struck me when you were talking before about bringing people into into dive heart, what you do is you take um, a, an obstacle or something that's formidable, which is the water, and you turn it into an asset where the, you transform these people. So that's part of you know, I talked about the hill you have to climb to get people in there. Um, but that's r- remarkable that you can do that, take something that is a challenge, and suddenly it becomes something really important to people. Right. It, it, um, people are, have a lot of water issues, a lot of able-bodied people. And so, you know, maybe Uncle Louie threw you in the pool when you were a kid, and now you're terrified of water. I mean, we run into that all the time. Some people are claustrophobic. So you're right. When somebody with a disability is able to do something like this, it really catches people by surprise and, and they might be at a party and say, well, would you do this weekend? And the person will say, well, I went scuba diving with dive heart. Yeah. And they'll be like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> how do you do that? And it's like, no, really check out my Facebook page. Right. Yeah. And, and we love to take photos and we love to shoot a lot of video and, and get that to the uh, participant. We call them an adaptive diver. We don't call them handicapped or disabled. Uh, we're trying to change the whole language around, around that. And and then they could they have bragging rights, you know. Yeah. And then they can take that and go on and and share that with people and their family or friends and and uh, and bring other people in, bring right. some of their friends in who who would say, oh, I can't do that. Well, yeah, you can. I just did the sense of accomplishment once they've done it. Right. We call that the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it yeah, it's a paradigm shift for people. And when I when I speak to people who are you know, not familiar with what we do, or maybe they are not a scuba diver. I say, you know, can you imagine meeting someone again at at Jim's example, like at a party and you find out they've just come back from a dive, you know, dive event or a a trip. Um, Your whole mind recalculates what you thought that person could do. And if that happens in your mind, you can imagine what happens in their own minds, what they can do, what they feel they can do. And we actually also delve in research because we want more people to look at this as, you know, something people can, can do. And our researchers have found what um, an impact diving has for the first 50, you know, first time, especially what it does to someone's mental state and how they feel about themselves. And that's wonderful. Well, uh, so what kind of researchers, uh, what areas of science uh, uh, are looking at what you're doing here. That particular one I referenced is, was out of the uh, school of psychology. It was a doctoral yeah. research, three-year research um, endeavor. We Which all, uh, the Chicago, Illinois, Illinois, Illinois school. school of psychology. Okay. okay. And then we also have worked with Midwestern university for a number of years um, where we have our first doctoral student that will be 
um, interning with us starting in uh, 2021. And then we'll have our second, second doctoral student from, oh, I'm not gonna remember the university, a different university, also, also um, occupational therapy doctoral student who will be joining us in May of next year. Um, and then we also have worked with uh, we've done, uh, Duke University. Yeah, we've done 10 symposiums. Uh, most recently, we did one last May in Cozumel, Mexico. Obviously, this year we had to put our, our May trip on the back burner. But um, and, and that, at that symposium, we had uh, one of the top hyperbaric from Duke University Medical Center. And we also had a uh, rehab doc and, and professor hmm. and researcher from Northwestern University who also is a resident at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab here in Chicago. So yeah, we yeah. had some, some pretty high speed stuff. And a lot of it's quality of life research. Um, doctors from Hopkins, John Hopkins, went with one of the teams we trained in 2011 and did some blood draws and some more you know, physical type of uh, research. And they found that if you get uh, a diver uh, 66 feet underwater, which is three atmospheres, there's an extra output of serotonin in the human body. And that serotonin helps with pain management. Yeah. And also helps um, during the pilot study, um, 80% of the PTSD symptoms that these veterans in the study were suffering from, 80% of the symptoms were alleviated during the pilot study, according to Hopkins. So uh, we know that divers, usually the second day of a dive trip, they roll up to us in their wheelchairs and go, Jim, I've been in chronic pain for 10 or 15 years. This is the first time I've been pain-free since my injury. And it can last up to three weeks. So the week they're on a trip with us, um, and we get them deep enough, they're pain free, but then it can, you know, it's two weeks after the trip that a lot of them claim that the pain starts coming back. So yeah. it's, we've seen those benefits. And then Midwestern did the first study on autism and scuba therapy. Pressure is a therapy for, for young people with autism, right? So they have pressure vests and they have weighted blankets and they have sensory deprivation rooms. And the, the beauty of, of diving is when you go underwater, there's ambient pressure and it increases as you go deeper. And then there are no longer surf, the same surface triggers that would send a, a kid with autism, you know, into a, a fit, maybe. Um, those are no longer around because he's underwater. So you've eliminated a lot of the surface distractions and that ambient pressure is soothing. And then you've just got the cool factor. Yeah. Um, and so when the kid comes out of the water, it's like they're different. And parents will say... I know when my son needs to get back in the water. <laughs> yeah. Starts to get kind of antsy. Wow. So Jim, you mentioned the hyperbaric as well. Um, so a question for people with Parkinson's is diving a good thing as well. We don't, we have not done any research on Parkinson's yet, but mm -hmm. with this facility that we want to build where we would have a deep warm water pool and warm water is really key because a lot of people have thermal regulation issues. So if we can have warm water, we can get them in and keep them in the water longer. We don't want to deal with wetsuits. I mean, if you put a quadruple yeah. in a wetsuit, it's daunting. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be difficult here. Well, if folks want to get involved, how do they do that, Jim? You've got like 30 seconds. Info at diveheart.org. Email okay. us there and you can um, just say you're interested and we'll get back to you. And of course, go to diveheart.org. Go to my website and you can uh, click on the link there and uh, get more information. You guys are wonderful. We're going to have you back on the show, okay? Thanks Thank so you. much. 
Uh, thanks, uh, Tina Marie Hernandez and Jim Elliott uh, at DiveHeart.org. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. For those listening oh, on the network, go Green Noir. Go home. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make Well, you're going to have good food to eat and you need good pollinators out there because that's how a lot of our food gets produced. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, as we mentioned in the first hour... Uh, we are embarking on a National Pollinator Week. Mm-hmm. We also mentioned at the time that it's National Mosquito Control Awareness Week. Uh, we'll find out from our next guest how those two dovetail. Um, and I am so excited to have Dr. May Berenbaum back on the show. Uh, she is in the Department of Entomology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, she has served as the Swanland Chair of Entomology since 1996. But I need to ask you, first of all, hi, May. It's so good to see you again. It's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for asking and being and persisting. <laughs> <laughs> you have heard us before. We, we were talking, we were comparing notes on emails that you get. And May was telling us she gets about 1,000 emails a day. Uh, a lot of you who complain, I complain about my 200. So, um I'm not even in your league. Uh, and, and, and she's the best part was May said she even has a file that's apologies. And then she puts it <laughs> where she has to write apologies to people because she hasn't been able to get back to them. I, you know, it's something that I would do and I haven't done yet. And I, maybe I need an apology folder in my, uh, uh, in my inbox. Um, would you explain something to me? We're, I, we had a little back and forth in speaking of emails in the last few days. Um, the Department of Entomology, how does that relate to the School of Integrative Biology? Okay, so it's a kind of a, a, a labyrinthine administrative. <laughs> but, uh, we call it Byzantine, I think. Uh, Byzantine is good too. Um, so it's... Uh, um, there are some freestanding departments uh, in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, uh, but there are also departments that share enough missions that uh, they are aggregated in a school. So in the hierarchy, um, it's you know the typically department then college. I wonder if this is at all interesting to anyone outside of academics. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm in a small enough um, department that shares um, a lot of similarities with um, a, the unit called, uh, uh, it used to be animal biology, it's now evolution, ecology and behavior, and then uh, plant biology. So uh, organism, uh, with uh, departments with an organismal focus. So uh, that are integrative all the way from down below, you know, at the cellular molecular level, all the way up to ecosystem level. Uh, so that's one way to look at biology. And then there's cell and molecular biology. And so we have two schools of smaller units that share a teaching mission. So everybody in the School of Integrative Biology 
teaches introductory you know, basic biology rather than mm -hmm. uh, okay. entomology or botany or anything. Uh, so, and then the college, the director reports of the school directs to the college who in turn reports to the, it goes on up the, the line all the way up to the president of the three campuses of the University of Illinois. All <laughs> okay. of which- and, and they all send you emails. Yeah, yeah every, in fact, um, you know, uh, with after um, the shooting of, of George Floyd, a uh, tragic uh, event and an amazing trigger for what I hope will be societal massive transformation, <clears throat> but I was amazed. Every one of these administrative levels sent me an email about their commitment and concern, as did every charity I donate to, as did every, yes. I mean, even my credit card company sent me a note. So, you know, and I've been getting uh, in the last few weeks notes from every environmental organization uh, in the world, it seems, uh, offering, you know, taking their stand on it, how what we believe in this time of crisis. And I'm like, okay, great, except that it's adding to the 200 emails I get every day. <laughs> Uh, and you're with you with the thousand emails. But all you need to know really about Mae Berenbaum is she is one of the foremost entomologists on the planet. Uh, she received the National Medal of Science at the White House in 2014. I have to tell you, I, uh, that sounds very cool. I wouldn't go to the White House right now except to protest, but at that time, it must have been a pretty amazing experience for it you. It was, uh, uh, it's tough to top that one, I have to mm -hmm. say. And uh, yeah, I, well, there have been no, not to no one's surprise, there has not been a National Medal of Science ceremony since, since. 2016. Since, since 2016 is what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's just uh, an embarrassment. Uh, we, we have, in many ways, a very embarrassing country right now. Uh, let's get to the subject of pollinators. Yes, because please. one of the things I found out uh, when I was trying to contact you, I learned it was National Pollinator Week. And then I realized that, well, I called you I, and you picked up, which is amazing. <laughs> and at first she said she thought it was a spam call because it was it, <laughs> from my area code. Um, but it wasn't. It was me. And I am sort of a spammy guy. But um, uh, I found out then May says, well, this is interesting because just yesterday I did a, an online presentation for 300 Illinois master naturalists. And the title of the presentation was, Is There a Pollinator Apocalypse? So I went, I ran with that. So all of, all of my stuff online today is about the uh, uh, apocalypse or the extinction or the insectageddon, um, yeah. all, of the, all of the terms that everybody uses. Um, and it's interesting because we talked about it last year uh, on, on the show. Uh, there is definitely a okay, and I'm, the one thing I will say about your presentation, and you showed it to me, it's got like 92 slides. Yeah. <laughs> and you did you get that all in in an hour? Uh, it was a struggle toward the end. Um, you know, the problem with Zoom lectures yeah. is uh, I have trouble getting the timing right because you know, I, there's no feedback, there's, right? I, exactly. there's, I, I don't see audience faces. Um, I'll, I see avatars, you know, I had the same problem the second half of spring semester because we all went, we went live mm -hmm. uh, for teaching and most students would put up their avatars. I had no idea if they were even there. Um, <laughs> Not sometimes their avatars were of their cat, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't hear it, you know, the feedback and 
I can't tell whether they're with me or not with me. So the last five minutes are definitely a sprint. Um, uh, but Anna, yeah, most of it got in. I typically, I, 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 well, I talk fast. I love words and I try to use as many as possible in a shorter time of period as <laughs> I can. And uh, so I do, typically my presentations are like 80 or 45 minutes, 80 slides or thereabouts. So. Yeah, and what I would say is having looked it over but not having heard your talk, I would say uh, the conclusion you came to, you know, is there a pollinator apocalypse? Uh, you would say uh, we can't really say yes or no because there's not enough information but things don't look good right now is that is that a fair uh, estimation of what you did I, I think that's an excellent summation of an hour of very fast-paced lecturing yes um the the issue of this i guess to start um in 2004 and well 2004 through 2006 i was on a committee for the national academy of sciences uh this is a committee that had been charged to examine all available evidence to determine if in fact North American pollinators are experiencing problems. And we depend on pollinators uh, because about three quarters of all of the world's 240,000 pollinating uh, flowering plant, plants require animal partners. Mm -hmm. Most of which, the overwhelming number of which are insects. So if, insect pollinators are in trouble, then most of the terrestrial uh, part of earth is in trouble. So uh, some, again, 90 crops in North America depend just on honeybees uh, as managed pollinators. Uh, pollination contributions uh, in the United States amount to collectively more than $2 billion, $20 billion worth of, of agricultural value. And that doesn't even there's no way to begin to estimate the value of pollination in natural, you know, unmanaged systems. So the uh, conclusion after reading 3000 papers and spending, you know, uh, 18 months interviewing every expert on, uh, that we could find on every group of pollinators, the conclusion was, yes, we have very sound data that, that honeybees, the number of honeybee colonies is in decline, but that's a managed species. The reason we had the data is that people collect it. It's, it's mm -hmm. like counting chickens or counting cows. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the other, you know, the, the world's natural pollinators, uh, you know, unmanaged pollinators, and here in North America, it's even hard to estimate. We have um, what is it? Um, is it? A, 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 I get these numbers. We have. Um, 50 species of bumblebees in North America, about 12 in the state of Illinois. Uh, and that's a, a small group of pollinators. We have thousands of species of moths. Most people think of, you know, when you think of butterflies and moths, butterflies are about the 10th the number of species as moths. Moths do a, most of the heavy lifting of, in terms of pollinators, but they're not gaudy about it. Yeah, they're, they're not flashy, yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have the data. We have the data... Uh, the baseline data that we can use to estimate decline is just nobody 20 years ago, well, very few people 20 years ago were thinking about, you know, collecting data to see how things will change over time. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm going to have to stop you there because we're going to take a short break. But the point is, uh, in the history of science, nobody ever thought to count insects. They were always there. They were ubiquitous. We knew they were going to be there forever. And now we say... Yeah. 
second, maybe they're not going to be there forever. And maybe we should have been counting them 100 years ago, 200 years ago, but we didn't. So we don't have that data. Um, that's Dr. May Berenbaum from the University of Illinois. We are talking pollinators and pollinator decline. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phases of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. From small boat to your table with complimentary no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings traceable wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your home. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares of their harvest just like your local CSA. Wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Responsibly harvested, hand-processed, blast-frozen, and vacuum-sealed. Sign up today. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Visit SitkaSalmonShares.com. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Our friends at Eden Place Farms are offering affordable local CSA shares with a twist. You pay for these organically grown boxes of vegetables each week as you receive them. You can skip deliveries without penalty and even get custom orders to eliminate allergens and unwanted items. Best of all, you're supporting a Chicago-based operation whose goal is to provide affordable, high-quality organic produce to the region. Go to EdenPlaceFarms.org or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. The folks at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery raise more than 100 goats on their Champaign, Illinois farm. The herd is pasture-based, the goat milk is seasonal, and they're animal welfare approved by A Greener World. They offer a wide range of fresh shove, including plain, herbs de Provence, cracked peppercorn, and seasonal flavors. Try one of their exquisite bloomies or a goat milk feta. Go to prairiefruits.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. Where do you find this stuff? Uh, 
You know, this is my uh, misspent adulthood, uh, going on the YouTubes and tracking down songs like that so that I can entertain our guests like Dr. May Berenbaum, uh, world-famous entomologist. And we are talking about pollinators. We are talking about uh, National Pollinator Week. In fact, let's do that before we before I lose track of it. What do folks need to know about National Pollinator Week, uh, May? Uh, well, National Pollinator Week was uh, uh, initiated um, sort of in the wake of colony collapse disorder, where this mysterious phenomenon manifested itself across, uh, uh, you know, apiculture enterprises. Uh, in, in around, well, initially 2007, and that basically um, awakened uh, awareness uh, about the importance of pollinators, initially through honeybees, which are the, probably the most familiar of all pollinators. They're, uh, they're used commercially to pollinate all kinds of crops, but then that sort of expanded to uh, involve uh, or to include the, our, our wild pollinator resources. So uh, ecosystem services are benefits humans um, obtain by virtue of existing uh, compatibly with the natural world. And pollination services uh, are among the ecosystem services that insects provide that, that we can't get otherwise. So uh, National Pollinator Week, I think, might have been declared in the summer of 2007 or there, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it has it has legs, as it were. It has staying power. Yeah, uh, but it has six legs. It has six legs times the number of. Uh, right. And uh, it's a way to remind everybody that that uh, especially in not long after the summer solstice, this is when we need pollinators the most. Is when uh, uh, everything in the temperate zone um, is blooming and is. Uh, in order to reproduce, to produce seeds, to produce fruits, to uh, to make ecosystems sustainable, they're going to need pollinators. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you remind me, that was about the time you and I met. We were at uh, uh, talking, speaking uh, at um, McHenry County. Uh, oh, yeah. Were, yeah. And that's where we first met. And, and I was fascinated because you had some really interesting things to say. And part of it was, you said one of the funniest things I've ever heard is that uh, the colony collapse disorder, and I'm going to ask you about that in a second, um, what had nothing to do with cell phones or bee rapture, as I recall you said right. at the time. And that was very, very funny. But uh, looking now 13, 14 years down the road, do we still have colony collapse disorder or have we just sort of accepted that uh, mortality rate uh, in honeybees as part of the deal? That's a really astute question. Um, and tomorrow, I mean, the, again, people weren't, were counting um, co uh, colonies uh, since 1946 or thereabouts, um, just as a way of keeping track of honey production. And um, for, in the, uh, in more recent years, the economic value of beekeeping uh, in terms of pollination delivery vastly out exceeds, the uh, exceeds the value of beekeeping as a source of honey. Um, so that's been monitored. Uh, and and uh, that's why it was noticed in this, um, February 2007 
these days, half of all of America's honeybees uh, get transported to the Central Valley of California to provide pollination services for the nation's uh, almond crop, right. which is a multi-billion dollar crop. I think they're now in excess of a million acres in California devoted to almonds. And at the moment, almonds don't are not produced in the absence of a pollination event, which is brought about by honeybees. Mm -hmm. So in February, 2007, uh, be, the almond growers were worried that there wouldn't be enough of America's bees to pollinate that year's crop because of these disappearances. Um, and that led to congressional hearings and that led to uh, a general raised awareness, not just about honeybees, but about pollen other pollinators. Because what happens when we lose the, you know, this, the marquee species, there's not a lot of backup out there in terms of managing pollination services. Yeah, but it also, and it also seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, almonds are such uh, a resource-intensive crop. Are they, they are really, deep. Yeah, are water they, especially. Water yep. especially, the honeybees. Is this worth it for us to pour all these resources into this one crop? Well, um, the fact that, and this is interesting, usually uh, when a large, a bumper crop is produced, the price goes down, right? Because mm -hmm. um, it does not happen with almonds. Uh, almonds have, America cannot get enough almonds. Um, and that's why more and more acres are used every year. So um, that's, you know, you could make the, I'm, I'm a, I've been a vegetarian since uh, January, 1977. And you could make the argument, people are making the argument that why do we, why do we eat beef? Why do we, you know, why do we do a lot of things? So um, it's just kind of symptomatic of the disconnect between um, sort of uh, concerns about the environment and uh, what's for dinner. And profit. And what's for profit, absolutely. But, and we have about a minute before we break again. Um, is this, do you think this is proving detrimental to uh, caring for honeybees or, or detrimental to honeybees to have them schlepped over to California each year and then schlepped back? Well, that among, uh, along with bee rapture was one of the hypotheses um, trying to explain these disappearances. And your, your question is so timely because I believe next week that, that long wordy lead up was the fact that we now monitor, you know, there's an uh, uh, intensive annual monitoring of, of um, beekeeping operations on an annual basis. And every year, the numbers are released to see what the overwintering losses and the summer losses are. And I think the next one is out, is out uh, tomorrow. And that last thing you said so well, is this the new normal? The, that you know, we are now just accustomed to the fact that we're going to lose, uh, on average, on an annual basis, 40% of the honeybees, which is yeah, yeah, time and, it, and it might be that. All right, that's Dr. May Berenbaum. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second garden video challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for their favorite gardens. And yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.com or click the logo at mikenovak.net. 
Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmers markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low-sugar blueberry preserves, pure dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing you-pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. hear this all the way through but it's very cool uh, uh that is uh the flight of the bumblebee by a group called the lost fingers uh thank you very much yeah, by the time they're done with that yes <laughs> but i thought again that's for your entertainment may Barenbaum. um noted entomologist uh worldwide we're talking pollinators pollinator week pollinator decline we uh during the break uh when we're still chatting here on uh, Facebook and the YouTubes, uh, we were talking uh, about the decline of pollinators, and it's something we need to address in our final segment here. Uh, I wish we could just go all day and and chat, uh, but there is something going on. That's kind of what your your point in your talk was the other day. That yeah, perhaps the methodolo- methodology isn't all perfect and it doesn't all match. And you don't, gee, I wish all the scientists were looking at exactly the same thing in different parts of the planet. And I wish they were all working with the same insects because we can't draw conclusions about one insect if you're looking at another one. Uh, and despite all that, there's an overarching theme here, isn't there, May? Yeah, uh, there are a million species over, uh, uh, of insects with names, and probably five times that number that we don't know. So whatever question you ask about insects can be answered, yes, for some species or other. Um, so yeah, there are species that are thriving in our <clears throat> uh, massively transformed uh, you know, uh, landscape and habitats, <clears throat> but there are others that are not coping very well. Uh, the other issue that uh, people haven't decided is the best, the, the issue is how, how do you measure decline? What's the important factor? Is it the number of individuals or the number of species? And mm. uh, in the talk, I pointed out, you know, number of individuals is important for determining uh, effects on higher trophic levels. There's been a decline in, in bird diversity, bird abundance uh, since in the last 50 years, 
estimated 3 billion individual birds are, you know, the bird population is that much smaller than it was 50 years ago. But then the, that's not diversity per se, that's abundance. Um, but diver And not all insects are equally interchangeable. I mean, birds can't eat all insects. Some of them are poisonous. Some of them um, right. don't provide enough energetic reward for the effort to capture them. So species diversity is an issue too. There are insects, insects are so specialized that they uh, can carve out a living at the tiniest uh, resource base. Mm -hmm. uh, and they perform irreplaceable functions. Every, there's a one-to-one -one or one-to-two correspondence of fig species and fig wasp pollinators. So they're not interchangeable. You can't take a fig wasp uh, that can pollinate one species of fig and assume it will pollinate another species of fig. So if we lose one species of fig wasp and they are they are tiny, they could they're about the size of a of a the eye of a needle because it's really fig, fig reproductive biology is going to take way more than your entire morning. <laughs> um, I, believe, I believe you put a, a slide in there and I read, cause I went through all 92, by the way, just so you know. and, and you wrote uh, about how uh, they brought figs over to the United States and for eight years couldn't produce a crop because they hmm. didn't bring over the insect as right. well. And then they had to go back to where, to Europe, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and figure out which insect was pollinating these plants, bring them here, and then they were able to produce figs in the United States. Who knew? Wow. Well, that's what you say to people who, who, who don't worry. Like, so we lose another species of insect. We got 999,999 more. They're not all interchangeable. Yeah. It's and the honeybee pollinate everything. Yes. Right. Well, it, There's no insect that can pollinate all 240, uh, 200,000 species of flowering plants. Right. They're very specific. They are, uh, are specialists. And that's something Dr. Doug Tallamy has told mm -hmm. us on our show. Uh, and, and he goes into that. And so you have to be careful about, you know, what, what bolt are, it's the old fly in the airplane yeah. and you removing rivets when does the plane fall out of the sky so what is which is the species that we remove that leads to total catastrophic collapse on our planet we don't know we're, we're playing god here and it's not a good it's not a good thing well we're and playing honeybees honeybees are useful in agriculture because they are not specialists they are among the most generalized and they yeah. have huge colonies 30 50,000 individuals. They're great for, uh, for pollinating monoculture crops. But the thing is, they need diversity too. They need diversity. They need plants that flower in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall. It does not help them if there are no plants follow, pollinate, flowering that in the fall, uh, that there are abundance of species in the spring. So we need to maintain diversity season long. Mm -hmm. Moreover, interestingly, new research in honeybees shows that these store honey, the honey, depending on pollen, on nectar flow, varies in its phytochemical composition. And bees basically use stored honey, not just for sugar, but as sort of a, a medicine cabinet, because the different types of honeys have different physiological, pharmacological properties, depending on the nectar. So even bees depend on diversity. And, you know, the vast majority of pollinators um, are uh, well, whether you're a specialist or a generalist, 
diversity is a factor, not just abundance. Yeah, uh, and uh, it leads back to the almond question, which is when you've got bees out there and the only thing, the only nutrient they're getting is from nutrients are from the almond plants, is that detrimental to their health? And uh, the other issue too is that that uh, there are times of dearth everywhere, not just in almonds, and beekeepers will supplement with sugar or high fructose corn syrup, and that's not the way bees evolve. They did not evolve yeah. in a high fructose corn syrup environment. It's yeah. not good for them. And uh, yeah, so diversity, uh, particularly for a species like the uh, the honeybee, it is essential for their health, just like it is for our health. We are a lot like honeybees. We we're the most omnivorous species on the planet. I'm convinced. So at least bees are all ve- honeybees are all bees are vegan basically. Only they'll eat mushrooms. I mean fungus. There's some fun, fungal species that they'll they'll eat, but yeah, but not everyone. They're vegan. So. Yeah. All right, um, I got I got two questions for you. Uh, we got like five minutes left, and this will <laughs> I could probably just wind you up and turn you. <laughs> uh, it, first of all, is the monarch okay? The first question is. And this is a pointed one, and you're a scientist. You probably won't want to answer it. Do you believe? Do you believe we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction? That's the first question. And I'm not talking just insects. I'm talking all species on the planet, all animals. And what do you think is the ultimate disposition of the monarch butterfly? We're losing the western monarch in California. Uh, the eastern monarch uh, is is now sort of ebbing and flowing. Uh, but if you chart it, it might be going down still with those two questions. Um, The first question, I would say that going back to 1600, um, starting with 1600 and comparing to past geologic epochs or eras, extinctions are happening at a rate that is unprecedented. Whether this is a separate, you know, uh, geologic period whether it's just we are losing species we are documenting the loss of species at a rate that is unprecedented Mm -hmm. and that that uh, there's overwhelming evidence of that and it crosses uh so many different groups so many different taxa so yeah there's there's definitely a decline in the global diversity of the uh, and and as we mentioned before, it, there's a lot of things that are involved in there, and that's habitat loss, too many humans on the planet, uh, pesticides. Uh, I mean, just on and on. There's all kinds of things. Agricultural development. You mentioned that in your talk. Is this is not natural? We are not leaving the natural world to do its job. Uh, we 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 keep messing with the natural world. Well, you know, people say uh, that um, uh, that we're you know, there are ways to live compatibly, but in terms of agriculture, you cannot turn over a shovel full of soil without disturbing something. Right. So that's that's just a fact. Uh, and it's just can we minimize the the disturbance? No, we can't. We don't know how. No, May, we do not know how. And that is my conclusion is that, we, you know, when we this pandemic is over, the digging and the building and all of it starts uh, at triple the rate it was before. We, 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 we're not interested in saving habitat, so we're not interested in saving species. Yeah, the will's not there. No. And all right, what about the monarch? Uh, well, like you said, 
we got two separate populations of monarchs in North America. Um, and, uh, you know, they all feed on asclepiate plants in the milkweed family, but they have different uh, overwintering strategies. So there are many, there, there are different mortality factors in operation at different life stages. Uh, and there are so many other things uh, changing. And like, like many other insect species, monarchs have a boom and bust life cycle. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're big, sometimes the populations are big, sometimes they're small. And we have trouble with that monitoring them because we can we don't monitor we have not historically monitored them continuously so we don't know whether we're yeah. you know in a uh a natural valley or a a, a disturbed valley so it, it's hard to say um and it, it's also there was sort of a magic bullet approach to conservation of monarchs is let's plant a lot of milkweeds. Milkweed. Have nothing against milkweeds but Adult monarch butterflies feed on nectar from plants other than milkweeds. So yeah. they need diversity too. And then those overwintering sites, that's diversity, something we don't have much precedent diversity, for. Diversity, so, diversity, diversity. We're yep. out of time. May Berenbaum, that will be our word of the day. Diversity, okay. please. I'm all for it. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. May Berenbaum. Uh, we're going to have to do this again really soon. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Thank okay. you. Thank Rick, you. Rick DeMaio Weather, it's next. Stick around. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're an omnivore, there's an alternative to factory farmed meats. Cedar Valley Sustainable Farms CSA brings you beef, pork, chicken, and eggs, all raised humanely, drug and hormone free, with respect for the earth and the animals. And since the start of the COVID-19 emergency, they've been doing non-contact pickup at delivery locations throughout the city and suburbs. Go to CedarValleySustainable.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, it's all about the soil biology. The folks at Blazing Star get it, which is why they work with industry leader Tinyo Biologicals. Tinyo's seed treatments and foliar fertilizers can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Take it from the people who transformed a depleted former cornfield into a vibrant native landscape. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets.
myself there we go oh there you are there (laughs) uh welcome back to the show let's go right to the phone bring in meteorologist rick demayo rick still in florida yeah nothing like a little spirit here on a sunday morning right Uh, yeah exactly yeah and uh well that's um, that's the band that's playing the song you're you're singing that they're singing yeah no i know that's the name of the group that's singing the song oh okay yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the, uh, of the reference. Uh, where, where are you this morning? You're still. I'm. Boy, you're spending a long time in Florida. I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the COVID nineteen cases are spiking there right now. Yeah, I know it. Um. Uh. Yeah. Down here uh, visiting my folks. Uh. When Rebecca and I drove in last Friday, uh, through Valdosta, Georgia, on I seventy five, that was a clean open. When my brother drove in from New York uh, the other day through Jacksonville on I-95, they stopped all the traffic, and there was about a 20 to 25-minute uh, checkpoint. And then when my other dro- brother drove in from North Carolina, uh, same thing. So, um, again, what we were talking about was states reopening too soon, and all of a sudden the state of Florida had, what, 2,700 confirmed cases on Thursday and over 4,000 on Friday, and right away, Governor DeSantis said, maybe we should start checking for people coming into the state of Florida. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing sometimes, guys, how much um, even political leaders will basically kind of turn their back on science, and all of a sudden, when science kind of goes, you know what, it's kind of there, and it never really left, they go, maybe we need to do a little bit more restrictions across the state. So, yeah, I just came back from church, and Someone actually wrote a letter to the priest and the bishop saying not enough people were wearing their masks in church. And what did the what did the priest say? He goes, everybody, if you have a mask in your pocket, take it out and put it on. And I'm not kidding you, Mike and Peg. Literally half the congregation put their masks back on. Um, so, yeah, that, I think people are beginning to that? realize that this, this, first, this first wave never really left. Yeah, but but okay. I'll I'll tell you one thing, Rick. We had people write last week uh, to us when they heard you were in church, and some of them said, "What the heck is Rick doing in a church?" Mm-hmm. You know, because of the COVID. Well, as long as you're social distancing, you're fine. Yeah, as long as you're social distancing, you're fine. Well, you're not actually. I mean, it depends what the social distancing is. It's an enclosed room, and they might be recirculating the air. There are droplets there. It's you know, as you said last week, people were not wearing their masks, and now half of them are wearing right. their masks. That doesn't sound like a good situation to me. Well, when I was in church last week, everybody was wearing their mask, um, and I think that letter was probably referring to. Uh, people during the week who weren't wearing it, but on Sundays, everybody was. Um, every other row is empty. Everybody is six feet apart. Um, there's no missilettes. There's no hand-holding. There's nothing. There's no shaking of hands during peace. There's no money being around. So you're just basically sitting by yourself. Um, it's the same thing as if you were on a bus or waiting at the airport for a plane. So I don't think there's really a much difference there. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I just want you to be safe. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm safe. I'm, I'm fine. Yep. yep. Well, you sent us some interesting information about uh, how as states are opening up and as the world's reopening, emissions are going super high, super fast. 
Yeah, and, and part of that is, Peg, I mean, we had a, a global drop-off of nearly 8% in carbon mm-hmm. dioxide emissions worldwide. Um, and now when they're doing a little bit more, you know, definitive measuring, particularly in cities like uh, New York or in L.A. or Houston, um, I think especially now when you get into the summer season, uh, I mean, look what just happened in Chicago this past week. We had four consecutive days where air quality alerts uh, were issued yeah. due to the fact that we were in basically a stagnant weather pattern. So I think it becomes a little bit more easier to measure trends when the air is stagnant, uh, whereas earlier on during the pandemic, it was a little bit tougher to do that, obviously with the mixing of the air. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I think we've all figured out what was going to happen. There was going to be a spike, um, and it certainly has been. Yeah, it's uh, it we we learn. I I don't know that there have been any lessons learned, uh, but we know it's possible to bring it down. It just <laughs> requires a a global catastrophe to do it at this point. But the problem is, as we move forward and we bring back the pollutants, that's a global catastrophe as well. Yeah, and and I think we also realize that if it means that by crashing the global economy is the only way to bring down emissions, then we have a lot more work on our hands. So that, I think, also raises the challenge of that it makes it even more so of a concern and a concerted effort to begin ramping up a switch over to renewable energy so that if we do have to really kind of ramp down uh, the emissions from fossil fuels, we'll be able to do it and still not worry about tanking the economy. So uh, this kind of experiment, the science project that the world or the earth or Mother Nature, as your song Spirit was just talking about, nature's got a funny way of telling us something, and hopefully we're all listening to it. I hope so. Uh, one of the things you also sent well, us I about... Felt, I felt like I should have been... Go ahead. Oh, temperatures in the Arctic uh, reaching all-time levels. Oh, yeah. yeah. First time ever, parts of Siberia actually reached 100 degrees. Um, wow. And I think parts of Siberia actually hit 100 degrees twice. And the funny thing about it, or I say the ironic thing about it, is Miami, Florida has actually only hit 100 degrees once. So here you are looking at parts of northern Russia having temperatures exceed the triple-digit mark more times than Miami, Florida. Uh, and again, part of that is due to the fact that we keep seeing these blocking patterns develop and you get these warm pockets of air uh, pretty much from the tropics that are able to move all the way northward and create mm-hmm. these incredibly large areas of warm temperatures. The other interesting thing, which I didn't send you, was this massive plume of dust coming in off of western parts of North Africa, obviously the Sahara Desert area. Um, and then I'll send that to you, but it's interesting. You watch that move across the Atlantic, and there's no clouds underneath it. So that may actually be an impediment to the further development of any tropical storms or hurricanes. So again, typically you think warm water temperatures, you know. All right, so obviously we had some rain yesterday. A couple areas had some downpours with about a half inch or so. Uh, just cloudy today, no rain. I think everything's going to be off to the east. A better shot of some shower and some thunderstorm activity tomorrow. And then we get a delightfully cool air mass will be with us for Tuesday through Thursday with temperatures near to slightly below normal. Again, we're a little bit dry, but again, the real wet weather is to the west of us right now. Wet weather tomorrow, rest of the week looks pretty good, Mike and Pig. All right, thanks. Great. We'll talk to you next week. Safe travels. Uh, I want to thank everybody on the show today, and until next time, go green or go home.